great privilege this morning to have uh, Bishop Alan Kenyon Hoare from South Africa as our preacher. Father, my dear people, it's a great honor to be here. This the first occasion uh, for me to visit California. I've been in the States about six or seven times, but this is the first time in California. So it's, it's a great occasion for me. It happens that two days ago is the first anniversary of my consecration as a bishop. And so I'm delighted to see family faces around me this morning. We are truly part of the same family of God, and it is about that that I want to speak this morning. Uh, and my text will come from <coughs> this morning's epistle. For this reason I bow the knee before uh, uh, unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. There's a personal anecdote about this particular text. Some 30 years ago, I was part of a mission to Cape Town University, and the priest missioner was a man from Northern Ireland. That's a, a, a place that you may or may not be familiar with, but it's a, been a place of conflict for centuries. And there has been uh, an undeclared civil war going on for decades and people on both sides have been blown up and shot and killed and there seemed to be no solution and there was a great need for healing amongst the people of Northern Ireland and God spoke to this priest and said to him you are to open a center of reconciliation in the midst of all this conflict. And you will open this community to both Catholic and Protestant. And people said, this will never work. Can't work. But God had other plans. And that center is still going today and many people come there to be healed of the great pain and suffering that they experienced because of the cruelty of man. And this morning, I want to speak a little bit about an insight that God gave me into this passage. Um, St. Paul here is speaking to his Ephesian congregation. And St. Paul does something that is so daring, so over the top, one might say, that it quite takes one's breath away. You need to, to pay close attention to the text of this passage because St. Paul says that I pray that you might be strengthened with uh, uh, might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being uh, rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. 
which passes knowledge. St. Paul is praying here for the impossible. You cannot know the dimensions of the love of God except you experience it yourself. Paul is here praying for his Ephesian Christians that they would experience the love of God which enabled him to say right at the beginning of this passage, don't worry about me. I, I have my tribulations and troubles in the Christian faith, but don't worry about me because I'm in the hands of a God who loves me and I've experienced it personally. And so I'm praying for you today that you would have this impossible thing done for you, that God would reveal to you the full dimensions, the scope of his love for you. It's, it's mind-blowing that anyone should ever imagine that we can be like the saints who are gathered around the throne of grace in heaven and know that full dimension of the love of God. That's what St. Paul prayed for, for these Ephesian Christians. And he refers to them as family. And I began the sermon by saying, I'm glad to be here amongst the family of God. I may live in Africa and you may be in California, but we are members of the same family. And you know, if God loves me in that kind of way that St. Paul prayed for, he loves you as individuals. You may not value yourself very much. You may think that God would really not pay much attention to you as an individual. You may think, well, he loves me corporately in the church. But I want to pray this morning at the end of this sermon that you, you as a congregation and you as individuals would know the full dimensions of the love of God for all of you as a congregation and as individuals. You may not have experienced that. Let me tell you of a recent little happening in my visitations around my diocese. You may not be familiar with the, the geography of South Africa. I cover the territory from Cape Town to the northern border uh, with Zimbabwe. And from the Indian Ocean right across to the west coast of South Africa. This one small province is not under my jurisdiction. But I went recently right in the middle of the country to the Free State. Uh, in the northeastern corner, right on the border of the kingdom of Lesotho. And I went there to confirm and to baptize, but also to help with running uh, an eye clinic, which our church had arranged. We know an ophthalmologist who has said to the church, I will give four years of free medical attention to the rural poor in South Africa and I will not want any remuneration for it other than the payment of my traveling expenses. And so in two days, we saw 180 patients 
12 hours a day for two days, 10 minute break at lunchtime, because they were queued for what seemed like miles to get to this free clinic. You have to understand that they're probably two to 300 kilometers away from the nearest hospital that has uh, facilities for eye care, for eye surgeries and for testing of eyes. And so many of these people were virtually blind. Um, there was one lady there when she put on the test spectacles. She cried out and said, I have four children whose faces I have never seen until today. Never seen the children that were born to her. And she said, thanks be to God, I can see. And so we provided 102 pairs of free spectacles in that community. And we did the same sort of thing last year. But that's not what I really wanted to, uh, to tell you about. On Sunday, I, I did two masses. Each mass was three hours long and included, oh, baptisms and confirmations, the things that bishops have to do. And then after that, there was a meeting with the, one of the parish councils. And towards the end, I, I said, are there any things you want to ask me as your bishop? And one lady got up, and an elderly lady, and she said, did you bring the eye doctor with you today? I said, no. He's gone back to Cape Town with his wife. And she said, oh dear, I missed him last year and I've missed him this year. And I could see she was troubled. And I sought to comfort her. And I said, look, after this meeting is over, I will pray for you with the laying on of hands and anointing according to the prayer book. And I did that, and I said to her, now, if you see any change, let your parish priest know in the next couple of days, and I'll continue to pray for her. And the tears just streamed down her face. Uh, and I thought, how am I going to comfort this poor woman? And I, I tried. And she said, no, you don't understand. I can see perfectly. Pro healed on the spot. And that had nothing to do with me. My own faith was kind of wavering a bit on the edge. I'm, I'm not great at <laughs> praying for the blind. But God wanted to show that woman his personal love for her in a way that no theological education could ever teach. And she walked away from that service knowing the love of God for her as a person, not just a number in a congregation. And there are many occasions where things like that happen in uh, South Africa. We're a missionary diocese. We do a lot of things with few resources. I have an Ethiopian refugee congregation. In fact, I have two, and one of which is located on an orphanage in a town just outside, Paul, uh, outside Cape Town. The place is called Paul because it looks like 
there's a great rock like a shining pearl uh, overlooking the town. And uh, a, a lovely woman with the name of Miriam, uh, which pleased me no end, because Miriam is the, is the Middle Eastern version of Mary. And uh, we took in Miriam and her family. And she has, no one told her to do this other than God, she took in, for the last 19 years, every abandoned baby, abused baby, uh, orphan child in her community. She gets a government grant for four of 27 children. Somehow God provides for the other 23. You can't get a government grant unless you've got a birth certificate. But if you're a baby that's been dumped in a puddle of water just to, after being born, you don't have the luxury of having a birth certificate. And so Miriam took these children in and about a month or so ago, I got a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. Bishop, we're in, we're in trouble. The orphanage burnt down. And little Jacob, who'd been there for four months, was burnt to death in, in the fire. And that, of course, would have been an inconsolable tragedy for all those children who were really in a family, the only family they'd ever known, to lose one of their little brothers. But God used it as he did the story of the widow of Nain this morning. See, the widow of Nain experienced that very fullness of love about which I have been speaking. You know, a widow in those days who had no relatives had no future. There's no welfare state, no handouts, nothing. And her one and only relative, her son, had died. She wasn't one of the chosen race. She came from a city that was not part of the Jewish nation. That didn't particularly uh, seem to matter for, for our Lord Jesus Christ. He just looked on that woman had compassion, that woman was heading to the graveyard looking at no future at all. She wasn't part of the Christian church. The Christian church only came after Pentecost when provision was made for, for widows, but Christ made provision for her. And she experienced the height and the length and the depth and the breadth of the love of God for her and her son was given back to her. Well, we didn't get little Jacob back, but there was such an outpouring of love in that community that gifts flowed in like a river because everything was destroyed in, in the fire. You will have seen in the Trinitarian, all that was left was the concrete shell of a, a toilet. That was all, nothing else. The beds, such as they were, had been blackened and were useless and they were stacked outside and that was all. And I, I, I had given her recently a whole stack of cash to purchase things for the children, winter blankets, 
uh, heating for, for this miserable hovel where she had the children. And all that went up in smoke. And Miriam was devastated. And the community reflected that same love of God into Miriam's heart. And the clothing and the food and other things just flowed in like a river. And we had to say to people, don't send in any more clothes. We're kind of knee-deep in it like uh, leaves in autumn. Uh, you know, we had so many clothes we didn't know where to... So we found other people to give them to. That's the kind of love that I want to pray that each one of you here will experience personally. You see, only when you have that experience of the love of God for you as an individual will you be able to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. Your lack of understanding of his purposes for you will hinder whatever God wants to do in your life until you experience him in that deep and unknowable way. You can't study anywhere and get a degree in the love of God. You can only know it when you get it and you experience it. And all that you have to do this morning is to put your faith to this text and say, God, give me the knowledge of the height and the length and the depth and the breadth of the love of God for me. And he's waiting to pour it out upon you in the same way, but perhaps in different circumstances. I know that there's a great deal of unemployment even in the great United States of America. Many people are suffering because they have no work. Now, I believe God has plans for people like that. I don't believe in the prosperity cult. I don't believe that God wants to make every single one of you sitting here millionaires. That's the stuff of televangelists. We don't go with that kind of thing. But I do believe that he wants to meet your deepest spiritual needs and to show himself to you. That's what the incarnation is all about. You see, God had to become a little baby and come amongst us in the flesh so that we would have something to look on and say, here's the love of God come amongst us. And I could go on for a long time with this. <laughs> I've only kind of got started, but I, I had a severe warning from my hostess who said 20 minutes is about what you get in this church. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I have an idea that I may have strayed beyond the 20 minutes. <laughs> but God love you all in a way that you've never known before. That's my prayer for you. Maybe it's the real reason why I had to come, Judith, apart from having nice hosts, you know. But I think that's the real reason that I had to come and pray that prayer for people here. So, Father, for this reason, I bow before you. 
of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant to you, the people of St. Matthew's, to be strengthened with the might of his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might, might be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, be ascribed as is most justly due, Almighty majesty, dominion, and power from this day forward and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>